Let's jump in today. Who opens the door? What a great question on Mother's Day. Who opens the door? When I first moved to Winchester, I met this pastor. His name is Jim. He's retired now. He's probably in his late 60s, early 70s that when, uh, when I met him. And one of the things I noticed about him is that he always opened the car door for his wife. And I don't know how it came up, but it came up. And he said, when I first took her out on a date, I opened the car door for her, and I've never stopped. After like 50-some years of marriage, he said, I always opened the car door for her. And he said that sometimes I forget. I just, you know, about doing when I'm thinking about something else, and she'll go around to her side and just stand there <laughs> until I come to and come around and open the door for her. 50 years of opening the door. I was watching some YouTubes this week about opening a door. You need to pray for me. I'm watching, I'm watching YouTubes about door openings. <laughs> but they even had one on there of some lady talking about the psychology of opening a door for someone. You know, the man and the woman and what the woman's thinking and what the man's thinking. I said, wait, that's too deep. But I did finish it all the way through. <laughs> and I got out and I said, well, maybe there's something to that. Who opens the door? We're going to talk today about a, a subject that is probably in our minds more traditional. And yet I want to bring before you how God thinks about opening the door. This is a message for probably not just moms, but all women and men together on this Mother's Day. So as we get started here, number one, through the Bible you're, you'll find that men, you'll find men opening the door for women. Now I'm not speaking about a literal sense. But I'm talking about opening the door for them for the gifts and skills and abilities that God has put in them and that men recognize that and men open the door for women to walk through to express themselves or to be who God's called them to be. That's what I'm, that's what I'm talking about this morning. And so I, I want to start with Proverbs 31. And that's a passage there where those of you that read the Bible and and have probably heard this uh, different times on, on Sundays where women are honored. Proverbs 31 is an amazing passage. And it describes a woman there that when I read down through, I, I get a description. Oh, that's Wanda. <laughs> but not everybody is a, my wife is Wanda. Not everybody is a Wanda. In other words, this woman is a type A personality. And she is going for it. She's got her own business. She runs the household. She gets up before the sun comes up. She is industrious, and she is just going for it, and not every woman God creates that way. In fact, I was having a conversation with someone in between services. You know, she said, I'm just really a good follower. I really, don't, I really don't necessarily aspire to lead something, and that's okay. And some of what I might share this morning, maybe you think that all women should be leaders. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying discover your gifts and walk into those and men, we have a part to play in that. And so I'm going to unfold that for you today. Let's look at Proverbs a little bit. First of all, verses 11 and 12. It says, Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. So here we see this woman that is obviously very industrious, very capable, leadership-oriented. Her husband has full confidence in her. He's not, he's not laying back sunny, uh, saying, honey, you wear the pants, you know, I'll, do, I'll cook the muffins. It's not, it's not upside down. It's the husband that has full confidence in what she's doing. Later on, we learn 
that the husband has a respected role as well. As you get down to verse 23 through 26, it says her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. She clothes, she is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. And so we find that her husband has a prominent role in the city or the influence of the town where they're at as well as she does. They work together as a team. And then we end up in verse 31 that really concludes the description of this lady. And it says, reward her for what she has done and let her achievements pray, praise her at the city gates. In other words, give honor where honor is due. If she's, if she's doing amazing things, give credit to her. And, and, and let's, let's uh, uh, recognize that our wives or women have a perspective about God that we as men don't have or we don't necessarily think that way. And so we need both together to have the full counsel of God. I was, uh, my, my overseer, my pastor Ron, he was here a couple of months ago and he shared with me about an elder team at a church that was all men. And they had reached a point in uh, something that was they were processing. I don't recall what it was, but it was just important enough that they knew they needed to have consensus together. And so they reached this place where they couldn't, they couldn't agree. And they decided whether than just leave at this point, let's table it, time out, let's go home and let's take time to pray and hear the Lord in a fresh way and then come back several weeks later and then to share what what it is that we feel like the Lord is saying about this matter. And so that's what they did. They broke for several weeks. They came back together. The first guy began to share. And he, he got done and he said, this is what I heard the Lord say. And he said, oh, by the way, I shared with my wife and I'm actually sharing what she said the Lord was saying. And this is what I'm telling you. He went to the second guy. The same thing happened. He shared what the Lord had said. He said, oh, by the way, I talked to my wife. And she shared this, and this is what I'm sharing with you. He went to the third guy, and he said the same thing. The fourth guy was the holdout. He said, no, I heard this from the Lord. Oh, by the way, yes, I did talk to my wife, and she added this. <laughs> and so they kind of laughed and realized that even though the women weren't present in the meeting, when they went home and discussed the issue with their wives, the wives had the word of the Lord, and they were humble enough to bring it back to the meeting and admit they'd talked to their wives, and consensus was had, and they moved forward. So again, sometimes God has his way even when man is stuck in a tradition. God has his way to work around that. That's the kind of God that we serve. When I was looking at these videos online, I noticed two things about doors. They have handles and they have keys. Door has a handle and a handle has a key. What does that mean in regards to recognizing the gifts and callings that particularly women have on their life and men opening the door for them. A handle is really in a general sense. In other words, if the door is not locked, anybody can come along and open up that door with the handle and get in the car. Anybody can do it. But when you have a key, that is a specialized entry. In other words, you have to know the combination or you have to have the key or you have to have the, the fob in order to, to hit the the car in order to open the door to get in. You have to be the owner. You have to be specialized to work the lock. But anybody can take a handle 
and open it up and get in. The same way with gifts and callings. Anybody can recognize that someone has a special ability from the Lord and anybody can say, wow, that was great or that was good, that was wonderful. But when you actually, when a husband compliments his wife, that's specialized. When a pastor might compliment somebody, that's specialized. When a father compliments a daughter, that's specialized. That's like the key into their heart. I know that Wanda has grown and the Lord has uh, um, really uh, kind of blown up the, the ministry that she has, has right now in a good way. Uh, many of you watch her videos. Some are here today because they've seen her online. We have many visitors that come through. And honestly, uh, I love it. But there's probably a time in my life in our marriage when I wouldn't have. I would probably be, have been jealous. And jealousy brings out insecurity. And insecurity brings out fear and pride. So there's all kinds of things that have happened. But the Lord has grown me over the years. Not necessarily her. She got it all the way along. But the Lord has grown me over the years to break traditional mindsets that actually, I can actually applaud what is happening with her rather than be restrained. But still, even though the Lord has blessed her in great ways, she pays attention to what I say about what's going on with her. I have the key. I could either shut down what the Lord is doing with her, or I can applaud it and take it to another level. I hold the key as her husband, and she pays attention to that. Not that God can't work around it, but that's just a reality of life. Men open the door for women. You say, well, where, where is that in, in Scripture? Well, hey, hang on. We're getting there. All right? So the, that's what, that's what the, the difference between the handle and the key. There's specialized people that make a difference in what they say. And if they don't speak up, then we wonder. If they do speak up, then it's clear. Let's jump into number two. Let's see how Eve related to Adam and God, the two men in her life, so to speak. Eve related to her husband and to God in particular ways that give us some insight about how God sees this thing playing out. The first of all is that she addressed uh, the serpent with Adam beside her. Let me read this. In Genesis chapter 1, or 3 rather, 2 and 3, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the tree, in the, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. What's the significance of this? Is that she felt free to address the serpent herself when Adam was standing right beside of her. She could have said, I'm not talking to you, husband. You talk to him. But she didn't. She had the freedom to address the serpent herself. And Adam was right there standing beside of her. He had confidence that she could address the serpent herself, even though he was standing right beside her. She didn't defer it. She didn't go back and, and say, I'm not capable. No, she fully felt capable and able to address the serpent herself, even when her husband was standing right beside of her. The second observation I have is she took ownership of her sin while Adam did not. Here we go. In verses 12 and 13 of chapter 3, it says, The man said, he's talking to God, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. 
Look, look at his excuse there. God, it's your fault and it's her fault. It's not my fault. I didn't do anything. God, you gave me this woman and she gave me some fruit to eat. He's not taking responsibility for his own sin. Look what she does. She says this. She says, um, and the Lord said to the woman, what is this you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. She, she, she took full responsibility. She said, I was deceived and I ate the fruit. She accepted it. She accepted responsibility for her own sin while he didn't. Now, if Adam would have accepted that responsibility, he would have said, God, I was standing there and I saw the serpent speak to Eve and I, I knew that what he was saying was wrong and I could have jumped in and stopped her, but I didn't. I held back. I don't know why. And in, instead of, 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 of jumping in and stopping the process, I just let it go. I take responsibility for that. But he didn't do that, did he? He stayed silent. He could have closed the door, so to speak, of sin entering the human race at that point. But instead, he opened the door or left the door open or allowed her to go through that door when he could have stepped in and kept it closed. Number three, or the third observation about them, is that mutual desire and, and open the door for you. Let's look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. To the woman, he said, and again, God is levering consequences now because of their disobedience. To the woman, he said, I will, I will um, make your pains in childbirth very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Again, it is a pleasant thing to talk about, but the fact is that childbearing can be difficult. Uh, I've observed my wife go through three, and, uh, you know, some, they were all three different, but yet they were all three painful. And, you know, there's, there's things that help with that these days, but in, in essence, there's still pain in giving birth. I believe that as we come to Jesus and as we receive his healing and grace, I believe that pain is less and less, but there's still some involved. But the reality is that after the baby's born, uh, the parents or the, the mother forgets about the pain. Otherwise, she wouldn't get pregnant again <laughs> because of the child that they have brought into the world is a delight. So... God is saying that, that uh, uh, pain is going to increase in childbirth. And then there's this statement that is made. He says, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule, rule over you. What do you think God had in mind about that? I walked into the word desire because I really wanted to understand that. Is that just being mushy-mushy or is there something more than that? And what I found was that the root word of this word desire actually means overflow. That you have some overflow for your husband rather than you're all margined out and you can't give emotionally or physically or sexually or, or any of that. You can't give any of that to your husband because you're, you're just all spent all the time. The, desi the word desire means overflow. I've got some overflow to share with my husband. And then we get to the word, he will rule over you. See, we traditionally hear that word and we think, okay, it's, it's, it's my responsibility to make all the decisions in, for my wife and this family and I'm responsible, therefore I'm going to do it. I don't care if they like it or not, I'm going to do it. But what I've found is that the word rule means to govern or to bring into order. And what I'm asking you to interpret is instead of the traditional way that we control everything, that we actually are the ones that open the door 
for our wives and our children to walk into the calling that God has for them, even though it might be different than what we think it, it could be or should be. But we actually recognize the calling that is on them, and we as dads, we rule by opening the door or maybe closing the door in some areas that we believe is dangerous. But we have dialogue together to make sure that we're hearing God in unity as we walk through that place. Could that be what God had in mind instead of the traditional view that oftentimes gets placed there? Just food for thought. The other thing that I want to mention and how Eve related to God and Adam was she acknowledged God's help in difficulty. In Genesis 4.1, we see where she's getting ready to give birth. It says, Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she, with the help, she says, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. She's getting ready to give birth to her firstborn child, and she's having a rough time. She doesn't blame her husband. She doesn't say, husband, come help me out of this mess. She goes straight to God. And she says, God, you've got to get me through this because you are the one that is, you are the only one that's going to help me out of this. And that's true. When a woman starts having a baby, uh, there's not much I can do. I can encourage and, 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 and do what is needed, but the fact is that uh, the Lord is the one that came and helped Eve uh, have her baby in the same way it goes today. So I, I, I roll those uh, uh, viewpoints out for you to consider maybe differently than how we traditionally see these scriptures. There's a friend of mine that was here and ministered recently named Dave Hess, and he wrote this book. Uh, he's a pastor up in uh, around uh, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. He wrote this book called Side by Side. It's probably one of the best compilations of this this topic of men and women together in ministry than I've ever seen anywhere. I've, I've gone to seminars, I've read bo other books and people talking about this topic, but Dave read over 200 books and compiled this all together and he really deals with the tough scriptures, the ones that, uh, that are perhaps in opposition, so to speak, of what I'm sharing today. He deals with those in a way that is, is really God-centered and grace-filled. And there's about maybe six of these books left at the information desk. If you're really interested in digging into the subject and learning more, they're 15 bucks a piece, and I'm done with the commercial. Let's get back to the message. So number three, God uh, changed the laws of Moses because women asked. That's kind of an amazing thought. I, I, don't wanna, I don't really like this term, but I will say this, that sometimes God adapts to the culture we're in rather than holding fast to a certain law that he would normally think is best. Let me give you a couple examples. He didn't, he didn't want Israel to have a king. He said, you, if, you, if you get a king... Why did they want a king? Because all the other nations around them had a king. They said, we want a king too. What a, what a slap on God's face. I'm your king. Yet they wanted something with skin, flesh. God says, you can do that. He adapted to the fact that they wanted a king. But he said, that's not first, that's not, that's not first choice for me and you. You're going to get into trouble. When you have good kings, it's going to be great. When you have bad kings, look out. It's going to be terrible. It's going to be rotten. But, you know, good kings always came around and bad kings followed. So he adapted to the culture there. The other thing is that God, his first choice is one man, one woman for life. That's his first choice. What did the culture do? 
The culture's like, well, marry one, and if she doesn't have enough children, marry another, and if she doesn't have enough, maybe her friend. I mean, the culture just, the whole focus was around having children and not loving the individual in a covenant together. That was the culture. God adapted to that. It wasn't his first choice, but he did. So we have a situation here. Again, I'm just kind of stretch your thinking beyond the normal traditional uh, of what we normally think. So there was a situation in the Old Testament in Numbers 27. If you'd like to turn there, I'm going to be reading, reading a portion, Numbers 27. And um, there was this guy named um, Zelophehad. What a great name. You know, if you're, if you're getting pregnant soon and you're going to name, have a son, try that one. Zelophehad. I think he was a bread maker by trade. Zelophehad. Okay, I had to get a dad joke in on Mother's Day, right? So he was a bread maker, Zalofi had. He had, he had four do- five daughters, and, he, and he, he had died, okay? And they're coming into the promised land, and as a result of coming into the promised land, they each got land allotments. That was their inheritance. And so these, these five gals, they didn't have husbands. And they said, wait a minute, this is not right. Our father was given a land allotment, for our inheritance, and we're not going to be able to receive that inheritance because we haven't married yet. This is not right. And so they took it to Moses, and Moses took it to the priest, and they actually formed an assembly together, and they went before God to decide what to do in this situation because it wasn't normal. It wasn't how God had set it up. He said, land allotments will come through your husband, and whatever allotment he gives from his line then that's what you get. And these women said, we haven't married yet, and therefore we're not getting a lot, but we don't think that's right. And they went before the Lord, and here's, here's what the Lord said in, uh, in Numbers chapter 27, verses 5 and on. So Moses brought their case before the Lord, and the Lord said to him, what Zelophehad's daughters are saying is right. You must certainly give them property as an inheritance among their father's relatives and turn their father's inheritance over to them. Say to the Israelites, if a man dies and leaves no son, turn his inheritance over to his daughter. If he has no daughter, turn inheritance over to his brothers. If he has no brothers, give his inheritance to his father's brother. If his father has no brothers, give his inheritance over to the nearest relative in his clan that he may possess it. This is to be a legal requirement for the Israelites as the Lord commanded Moses. And so God, in a sense, adapted to a a rule that he set up. He actually recognized, wait a minute, the, the principle is there, but it's based on gender. And he said, that's not right. Therefore, he actually made a correction and brought it into line that even though the ladies were unmarried, that they still got their inheritance. Amazing about God. He did that. Now, he came back later, and he told the ladies, now, you have to marry within your tribe. You can't take this land allotment and marry somebody outside of your tribe and take that allotment over to another tribe. That's not, that's not, not going to work. It's not kosher either. That's just not going to work. You've got to stay within your tribe when you eventually marry, but uh, keep the land there. So uh, God was gracious in how he dealt with this situation. He opened the door. Now, uh, these ladies could have brought this case to Moses, 
And they could have said, you know, this is the case. Moses could have shut that, uh, those gals down right there, couldn't you? Well, this is a law. Just suffer it and die, you know? Or go find a husband. Well, I'm not ready for that yet. He could have shut the door on those, those Zelophead's daughters, but he didn't. He opened the door. He opened the door so wide that he said, you know what? You've got a point. Let's go to God on this one. And they sought God together, and as a result, God came back and changed the rules because he recognized what was going on. And as all they did was ask. And so Moses had the opportunity to shut it down or to open it up, and he decided to open it up, and then God set it straight. Number four, I want to give you some New Testament examples of how women cooperated and, uh, and, and some led. And as we looked at, at four different ladies here, the first one I start is Mary, the mother of Jesus. And I, I was drawn to the first miracle that Jesus did when he was at a wedding with his disciples and says his mother was there. It doesn't say that his dad attended, but his mother was there and, and they ran out of wine. And it's kind of embarrassing as a host when you're there and, and you ran out of the main drink. And so his mother took the initiative and went to Jesus and said, do something about this. This guy's embarrassed. He doesn't have enough wine. Do something about this. And, and Jesus could have at that point shut his mom down. He said, no way. In fact, he said, this is not my time yet. And then, and then Mary just looks at the servants and says, do whatever he says and walks away. I mean, what an incredible woman. She just, she just had the confidence to direct things and, and then to walk away. And then Jesus jumped in and, and made water out of wine and, and the first miracle. So, again, he could have shut her down at that point, but he didn't. He, he invited her up and, and actually thought about it, and the father said yes, and so he said amen, and water became wine. Amazing. The second person that I want to look at is Lydia. She was a, 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 she had, she was a business owner in, um, in Philippi, I believe it was. And so she was in Macedonia and in, in, in that region. And Paul was trying to figure out where to go. He was, he was trying to figure out, do I go here, go there? And he stopped everywhere to go. All of a sudden, he went to sleep one night, or maybe he was awake. He had a vision of a man standing saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. That's what Paul saw in a vision. So he concluded from the Holy Spirit that he needed to go to Macedonia. And when he got there, he went down to the river, a place of prayer, and there were all women. And Lydia was in that group. And Lydia was the one that heard the message of Jesus. And she's like, that's what I've been looking for. And she became a believer. And she says so in the script. I just pulled out a portion of it. She says, if you consider me a believer, Paul, would you please come to my house? And you and your team can stay there because I want to learn more. She took the initiative. She was a businesswoman. She also had a, a, probably a big place and she could provide hospitality for their team. But she took the initiative and Paul could have shut her down right then. He could have said, forget it. Call your husband. No, I'm going to a man's house, not a woman's house. Again, it was appropriate because there was a team and she had her family there. We don't know if she was married or a widow or who she was. She was very wealthy, very industrious woman, and you'll see her name pop up through the book of Acts. But she took the initiative. Paul could have shut her down, but instead he opened up the door and for her life to ex uh, express her gifts. The third uh, couple that I want to talk about is Priscilla and Aquila. The first time that this dynamic duo is mentioned is in, in uh, Acts 18, and Aquila is mentioned before Priscilla. 
But in the seven times that they are mentioned, five of those times, Priscilla is mentioned first. Well, what does that mean? The Greek language is very precise. In fact, when a sentence is written in Greek, it, it's, you put the most important things first, and then you add whatever is a part of that sentence to make it make sense. You add that later. So the important things are put first, and then you add later. So what it tells us grammatically is that Priscilla had a greater ministry in relation to the gospel in Paul than what Aquila did. They, he, they, were, they had a tent-making business. So perhaps Aquila was tied up with the tent-making business. I mean, they moved from town to town just like Paul did and, and uh, much be like today when people just have their laptop and they, get, they can move anywhere and still work, you know, because you work on your laptop. They had one of those bids. They didn't have laptops, but they had something that they could move from town to town in order to do their business. Maybe Aquila was tied up with the business and he didn't have the freedom to uh, be uh, involved in Paul's ministry like Priscilla did. But she was obviously recognized as someone with, with, with ability. She could teach. She could help. Uh, she, uh, she, they were, and together as a team, they were a dynamic duo. I mean, they helped Paul in great ways, and he, he says that. But she is mentioned first. That means that she had a more prominent role in Paul's ministry than what he did. The fun the final one I want to I talk about is Philip's daughters. Philip started out waiting tables in uh, Acts chapter 6. And uh, then when the persecution came to Jerusalem, he headed down to Samaria and he became an evangelist. He probably was an evangelist in Jerusalem, but he, he was known as an evangelist. And he began to spread the gospel there in that city. And uh, later on, we find out that, uh, that he had... Uh, um, Four daughters, I believe it was. And it says that they all prophesied. So if you want to get a prophetic word, you go to Philip's daughters. So their gift was recognized. Their gift was honored. And I'm sure that Philip, their father, had something to do with that. He could have shut it down. Say, oh, women don't prophesy today. Only men can prophesy. But he didn't. They were, they were recognized in the church as having a prophetic gift. And so they were allowed to prophesy and recognized that as such. Here's uh, where I'm coming to, and that is as we open up a subject like this that perhaps has, uh, uh, we have different viewpoints growing up, and, uh, and then we all of a sudden get to a place, we'll go, wait a minute, has our traditional culture or understanding, has it, has it, uh, shaded or has it has it really um, overlaid exactly what God had in mind in men and women working together in ministry and I know it doesn't you know it doesn't always work out like a formula so to speak but there's there's such a, a power in in unity particularly with husband and wife they don't need to have the same role but just the unity together there's incredible power in that and that's what the Lord wants to release today, just an incredible unity. I mean, one and I are very different. We're both leaders, but we have unity together. And it's been a big journey for me over the years. I mean, she had it figured out all the way along, and it took me many years to work through strongholds in my own mind and understanding, and then a few with her, but mostly me. <laughs> and, and as we, but as we walk through those things with humility and counsel and prayer, 
and, and different uh, uh, viewpoints of Scripture than we had grown up with, suddenly I began to see a different picture than perhaps I'd seen before. And now, I mean, where God has her, I celebrate, I rejoice. Yet at the same time, I know that where God has her, my thoughts and opinions matter to her greatly. And there's things that, that she, uh, you know, dives over into that, that I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. And she waits sometimes until I either get clarity or maybe catch up. <laughs> you know, like the difference between a conspiracy and the truth. <laughs> she may be, oh, this is truth. I'm like, no, this is conspiracy. And I'm like, okay, give me some time. Maybe, maybe what she thought was truth is conspiracy and maybe conspiracy is truth sometimes we need to give each other time to really get there and in traditional thinking in regards to how much women can participate in the church traditionally there's this lid because of two verses in the scripture that the apostle Paul wrote that says okay women you can get to this and you can you can teach children and you can be a missionary and and you can you can um, you know, uh, speak to your husbands when they're not at the meeting, but the rest of the time, you know, raise the kids and make muffins. No, that's not, that's not what God had in mind. Unless that's your gift, then do that. <laughs> I'm not trying to make every woman a leader. I'm only saying this, that I believe we as men hold the key to recognizing the gift and calling that is on our wife and on other women. And generally, we can affirm other women. When it comes to our spouse, our opinion matters, guys. It really does. And we can either keep the door closed or we can open the door and say, I'm with you, honey. Let's walk through this. I don't know where we're going either. We're in uncharted territory. But God, you know the way. We're going to trust you. We're going to trust you through this. And we're going to watch you move. And we're going to, we're going to uh, take traditional mindsets that we have. By the way, uh, Dave w walks these, those, two, those two verses of the Bible. Man, he walks those things through that you get done. You're like, wow, I never saw that. Never saw that coming. And it, it's, it's, it, again, it's just a different ways of looking at those two verses that limits women in the church rather than frees them. Wives, when was the last time you expressed what was on your heart to your husband? Maybe the last time you got shut down. Maybe you got, maybe you, maybe you're, I, I, I can't, maybe you said I can't hear that. I encourage you to try again. Pray and try again. Look, I, this is what's on my heart. Husbands, listen, maybe in a time that you haven't listened before. I hope you don't hear me as a woman's liver. I'm not but I am a women's liberator and there's a difference. Heavenly Father, I pray on this Mother's Day that you would give us a fresh revelation of what you have in mind when you created Adam and Eve to work together in harmony and conjunction with each other and with you. And I pray that you would release a new spirit in the church today, not just in Crossroads, Lord, but in the church today that would that would bring about a fuller expression of your heart that comes through when men and women work together in cooperation, Father. So thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in each one of our hearts, Lord. I pray that you would bring healing 
where healing is needed. You would identify strongholds where we have uh, iced over and not allowing us to think differently. I pray, God, you would come and share your heart with us in a way that we can understand so that we can live in freedom for your glory. In Jesus' name.